Good evening. I applaud uh, most of you. That you're you're slowly but surely coming up, um, and that means a lot. Uh, it's good to be close. Hope everyone's week found them well. Uh, we're going to continue in our Advent series, and we're going to continue through the writings of Isaiah. If you want to make your way uh, to the book of Isaiah, we're going to be in chapter 40. We're going to be working through verses 9 through 11. So it officially feels like Christmas. Um, the, we, we cannot take uh, credit for all the decorations in here, but I, I do like the Christmas decor. I like that it feels, it was like 71 degrees the day of our Advent uh, service of Night of Worship, um, which I think uh, does hurt the, the Christmas vibe. But I'm a seasonal truther, I guess, um, which has been a, a topic of argument at the Roundtree House. Like I feel like around now, a little before now, so if it's December, it's December 1, we're good to go. We can listen to Christmas music, we can begin to decorate. But anything before that, you just need to relax. Like, it's okay to have a, a breath of fresh air between Thanksgiving. Under no circumstances is it okay, like, pre-Thanksgiving to do anything for Christmas because you are not being seasonally appropriate. Um, I, I don't think that you should listen to Christmas music before December. There's a lot. I have a lot of hot sports opinions that I know are probably not helping our growth strategy. Um, because uh, as, as we look around in our culture, it is, it's really easy to see people just love to, like, to just mesh it all into one big thing. Like uh, I read uh, this week where there weren't huge Black Friday uh, uh, records set on Black Friday because most deals spanned a week prior to Black Friday and a week after. Like I remember a time when like you had to wait in line. Like right now, if you wait in line on Black Friday, it's because you like waiting in lines. Like, that's it. The, the deals are just as good online, or they're just as good three days before in the actual store. And it, it, it's a sign of just we're, we're, we're a people who like to have our cake and eat it too, right? Like, we like to uh, have the, the deal, the Black Friday deal. We like, we want Christmas. We know it's April, or, or sorry, it's October 30th, but we want Christmas. We want Christmas music. Um, and I think it does blurry up uh, even more, really, this, this time, this, this space that we're stepping into as believers of, of even more refining the true meaning of, of our season and the true meaning of Christmas. And our hope at Trinity Church is that through this series, through our look at the hope, love, joy, and peace, the Advental uh, moments of Advent, that we will be able to kind of uh, transition our thoughts, uh, re redefine our hearts, and, and say these are the, the actual pillars of our faith through this time and, and through this season. Um, last week we looked at hope, and we looked at a it was a state of anticipation where we 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 are we're eagerly hoping for the return of our Messiah because we find hope in his first. Uh, his first coming. So we, we discovered that we are a people living in the middle of two realities. We rest in the certainty of our salvation because we know our Messiah came, but we are yearning for the day when Christ returns. We find ourselves in this already not yet reality where we as believers hope on two different scales. We hope on what's going to happen because of the hope we found in what has already taken place. And we see all of this work, all of this hope rest on God's promises. We, we see the Bible as what it really is, and it, it's, it's a, blueprint, a blueprint for God's redemptive 
plan. Everything in this Bible either points to what God's going to do with Christ, through Christ, what Christ has already done and will make new again. And all of this redemptive work, all of this hope that we talked about uh, last week is really fueled by love. And that's where we find ourselves today. Today we're going to walk through what it is, uh, uh, what, it, what is love, what is the true meaning of love in, in, the, in the confines of Advent, but what is it to be loved by a sovereign God? What, is it, what does it mean to be loved by a Messiah King? And then how does that love play out in our lives on a daily basis? But we as a culture love love. Right, love is is a culturally stolen word. Um, it is is a perverted word. We we at times use it for like or or kind of like. Um, we we say love uh, and almost to a point where it's lost all meaning um, in, in how we use it and who we use it for. And I will be completely honest with you. And this is going to be a time of soul bearing for me. I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as it comes. Um, <clears throat> They say that when you when you preach to your congregation, it should be a, t- uh, a, a vulnerable moment. Like I should open myself up to you. I think I think I have, for the most part, I have done that. But today we're going to go a little further, and I want you to stay with me. I don't want you to get weirded out. But I'm going to be honest. Some of you are like, "What's about to happen? This is crazy. It's going to get weird." No, it's going to be fine. Um, but I believe it or not, this is not a joke. And I've, I, I talked to Joe about how I'm going to convey this with. Uh, I got people just laughing at me. You don't know what I'm going to say yet. I'm just going to get to the point. I'm a hopeless romantic. I am absolutely ate up with the idea of love. And I think some of you think like, oh, Tim's being his like dry sense of humor again. And I don't know how to convince you, but I am. <laughs> like, uh, here's a good example. I've read two nonfiction books in my entire life. Two. Not a huge fan of nonfiction. Uh, sorry, fiction. Love not, uh, I'm mixing that up. I've read two fictional books in the history of Timothy's life. Does that make it more clear? <laughs> two. One of them was The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks because he is a great writer, he is a great screenplay, and his movies are gold. <laughs> I grew up, and the ideas of what I think a relationship should be, and I'm not saying this is right, let me get to my point, but what I think a relationship should be is really what I learned through the book and the movie will walk to remember. <laughs> and where he left off on a walk this is not the response I thought we were going to have like this was not going to be the funny part it's gonna, the funny part's coming no it's not is it? uh, and the only thing only movie that I think he really outdid himself more than a walk to remember was The Notebook it was just great like Oh my gosh, they're, they're on the bed together at the end, and she remembers, and I'm bird, you're a bird, they waited. I mean, I walked to remember, he understood that his heart was going to be broken. He understood that, like, she, she did not have long to go, but they got married, and he lived, they lived their marriage out until God called their home. People, this is amazing things we're talking about, and I think, I think now you're like, okay, he wasn't joking. This guy's real. Um, I, I'm, I am, it's, I went and saw a fault in our stars in the movie theater, and that's for 16-year-old girls. And I loved it. I loved the idea of love. I grew up uh, uh, loving uh, the idea of, of, of the seriousness of relationship or, or what love actually... I, I'm just how sappy I am. I have told one person in the history of my life that's not my mom and dad, but like actually in love. I've told one person that I love them. At all. 
That's how serious I took it. There was one person, you don't have to guess, it's she's here. Uh, uh, but just because I grew up with this romanticized view of love, and, and a lot of that is because I'm sappy, a lot of that is because Nicholas Sparks is a literary genius, and then some of it is just the, the culture we live in where we love to love. Um, well, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to redefine what love actually is. It, it's, it's not what Hollywood would make it out to be. Um, it's not um, what our culture would say it, it, it's meant to be. We're going to walk through why love is, is the basis of everything we do. Why is love uh, the, the glue that holds God's redemptive work together? And there is some beautiful moments of I'm a bird, you're a bird, but there's always also some pain and agony when it's dealing with love. And God's going to walk us through, point us to, and show us how we apply His love to other people in this time of Advent. So if you would, turn to Isaiah. We're going to read through Isaiah a little bit. We're going to camp out there for a small portion of today, and then we're going to move forward. So Isaiah is a prophet. He's a major prophet. Um, and he uh, did a really good job of, of calling out the people of Israel. So Isaiah is broken down into really two sections, one through 39, one, chapter 1 through chapter 39, where he is just regularly against the nation of Israel saying, you guys are messing up and you, you're not stopping and you need to stop because I have a God who is sovereign and he will not take kindly to sinfulness. He does not take kindly to people who walk in open rebellion. So that's really 1 through 39. And then 40 through the end, which is where we're going to be today, he is still saying, hey guys, you have to turn. You have to repent. Because God's coming with judgment, but He's coming with a loving judgment. He's coming with a judgment that leads to atonement and through atonement reconciliation. And that's where we find today. Isaiah did a great job of calling his people out while resting on God's promises. He did a great job of saying, hey, we have, we have a Messiah. We have a Davidic covenant that promises us a Messiah through the seed of David. And if you people would just listen to me and turn, you will see that God's promises is enough. And He's going to move us through. He's going to move us through. There's going to be an Emmanuel. There's going to be a God with us. Isaiah is the first person to really pin that in Isaiah 7, 14, where he says, hey, a virgin is going to conceive a child and we're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. And, and he does an amazing job of just pointing us to Christ, pointing us to Christ and pointing us to Christ. So without further ado, if you would stand in reverence to God's holy word, we're going to read chapter 40, verse 9 into verse 10. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judea, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather His lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead those who are with young. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to embrace your love, embrace your redemptive story, and embrace your holy word. God, I pray for the next few minutes that we would, we would dwell, we would camp out in, in your sovereign love, in your sacrificial love, in your agape love. God, I pray um, for the next few moments, whatever would distract us, would be made bare, and that we would, we would honor you with our time and with our thoughts. God, I pray, for, I pray all things in your name. Amen. 
All right, so um, what Isaiah is doing here, he's saying go up to a high mountain. He's saying anything that God proclaims, anything that comes out of a prophet's mouth, a prophetic utterance, anything that's been garnered from God deserves to be proclaimed and to be noticed. So he's saying go up to a high mountain, O Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, he says later on in the next sentence, Jerusalem and Zion are God's people. So at this current writing of Isaiah, he is literally talking to the, uh, the nation of Israel, to uh, the people of Israel in, in a geographical place. But how we have to translate it now as, as people in 2018 the Trinity Church, he's saying people of God. When he says Zion and Jerusalem, he's saying, listen up, people of God. Lift up your, it says, lift it up, do not fear, cities of Judea. Behold your God. He's saying, listen, what's coming next is important and you have to understand it. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him and behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So he's, he's professing judgment. He's saying, hey, our world is broken. Y'all broke it. We broke it. Sin entered this world, and, and after Genesis 3, uh, there was a, a separation from us and God. There was a chasm of sin that we could not go into the holies of holies. We could not look upon God. We could not have a relationship with God. There was a fracture between God and His creation. He's saying, but God is coming with might. He is coming with a recompense. Recompense means He is going to make the right that was wrong. But then in verses 11, he switches and says, but he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those who are young. So he's saying there will be judgment because we serve a sovereign God. We can't have a, we can't have a God who just, hey, just kidding, everything's good now because that would mean he's not sovereign and he's not right. He's saying, no, we have a God who's proclaimed judgment and judgment is coming. But through that recompense, through that atonement, then there can be reconciliation. Then there can be hope. Then there can be love. He is coming like a shepherd. Matthew 11, 28, 29 says, Come to me, all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I will be your shepherd. I'm going to take you into my bosom. I'm going to carry the young. I'm going to carry the weak. We have a God who's coming down with might, but we have a Savior who is coming down with love, and they're coming through the same motion. They're coming through the Savior, Messiah. And it's really easy, easy to, get, to get lost in these words of saying, This is awesome. Right? Like, hey, this is just going to happen because the Bible told me it's going to happen. And that, that is true and that, that is enough. But it's okay for us to say, why? Why is God a God who needs nothing, who is self-sustainable, who is omnipresent, omnipowerful? Why is he going through all of this instead of just throwing the baby out with the wash and starting over? Right? So God made a plan. He created everything in Genesis 1. It was beautiful. It was perfect. There was peace. There was shalom. It was awesome walking in the garden. But by the time we get to Genesis 3, all is lost and we have been fractured from our God. And it's okay. I remember at a young age, I'd be like, man, if I'm omnipresent, omnipowerful, maybe I just recreate this thing and like start over from scratch, right? But that, but that loses sight of the fact that we have a God who loves us. And we forget about that because we say it so much. We say the word love so much. And we say that God loves us so much that it, it loses its meaning and it loses its impact on us when we say we have a God 
who moved heaven and earth in his son because he loved us so much. If you look at the Old Testament in and of itself, take away the Gospels and, and the New Testament for a second, and just look at the Old Testament, you still see a loving God. It, God has a, a harsher vibe to him in the Old Testament. People don't like the Old Testament as much as the New Testament because there's a lot more poetic and romantic writings in the New Testament. But when I read the Old Testament, I see a God full of love. I see a God who does nothing but give second chances, third chances, 49 chances, 100,000 chances to a broken people who continue to fail him. That gives me hope because I say, I'm Israel. I am Zion. I am Jerusalem. I'm a broken sinner that given a chance will fail. But I still am, I'm still alive and hope and love and peace and joy because I have a God who loves me. He has shown me time and time he loves me. But like we said, love is one of the sloppiest words in the English language because you love God, but you also love pizza, right? Like I love, I don't know what the word is. We're about to, we're, we're redefining love as we speak so we can agree it's not love, but whatever word you would call lesser than that, that's what I do for Chipotle. Man, it was a rough day at the Roundtree House today for a lot of reasons. Uh, not going to go into it. I will give you a hint. I've spanked my son like 23 times. Um, <laughs> Man, that 24th time, though, is really going to catch in. That's what it's going to turn in. So a rough day at the Roundtree House. Uh, rough mornings. Um, Asher's going through this phase where he loves me so much, and he, he doesn't want to miss an opportunity to hang out with me. So he loves to wake up around 445 and just be ready for the day. And he loves me so much sometimes that he, he doesn't want, he, he wants to share things with me. So like today he woke me up by sneezing and coughing in my mouth. Um, and then was like, I want to play and dance. And it's 4.45. He did that pretty crazy early. Actually, just normal at this point. We're going to month three of this. So anyways, um, everything's falling down because I have a two-year-old who's been up since 4.45 and it's only 8.45, but it's almost a half a day for him. And you're like, what's going on? You know what we did? We recented ourselves. We went to Chipotle. I got in line, and I, I, so here's, here's the gist of Chipotle. Um, I, I, I'm a gamer. I love food. I've made it known very well that I love food, and uh, I strongly, strongly like Chipotle. I have to change my jargon. I have to change my language. I like it a lot. Um, and like, so rice is free, so I'm just like, no more, no more, no, no more. There you go. That's good. And then the, the, the key is they're going to give you what they're going to give you on that meat. So you say chicken, chicken, like, but you don't want to say double chicken because then they're going to like, Okay, but you say chicken, let it sit, then you tell them double chicken, and then you get the more. So I've already gamed that out. I'm also gaming my son's meal because he likes to eat as much as me, maybe more. And you know what? We went home, and we ate it, and things were fine. Blood sugar was up, and everything made sense. And we really, really like it. But I would tell you prior to studying this sermon, I love Chipotle. But that's not true. It's not true. You can't, and I don't, if you, if one of the things you need to, to leave this sermon understanding is you can't love anything that can't love you back. God tells us time and time again that He is love, He loves us, and we love God back. That is the cycle of love. To be loved and to love. To love, to be loved. So anything in your life that you think you love that can't love you back, you just kind of like. And some of that is, and, and I'm not harping on you, I'm going to probably mess up and tell you I love something tonight that I can't love. It's just part of our word. We, we have sloppified this word so much. That's a word. <laughs> sloppified. <laughs> oh, let's just move past that. Um, but we have to redefine 
the, the word, and the best way to do that is go back to its biblical origin. So the word we're talking about today, the word that, that happens when God loved us, is agape. When we see a sacrificial love, it's an unconditional love, it's a self-sacrificing love. And that's where a lot of the, the movies go wrong, right? Is that love is not some emotion. Love is not this, man, she is hot, right? In college, like, it was like the, the love, do I love her, do I not love her, is really like, man, she, some of y'all are giving me weird, like, yeah, she is hot. Who's she? It's just an example. <laughs> yeah, she is hot. Um, right? Like, it's not a physical attraction. It's not lust. It's not an emotional uh, connection momentarily. But love is something that barrels things. Love is, is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep uh, uh, something of wrongs, a record of wrongs. Um, love is, is something beautiful. So, love is something created by God uh, who is implemented by God. And, and love is played out through God's gift to us. We see in John 3, 16, uh, verses, uh, sorry, John chapter chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where it says, For God so loved, so agape the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Right? That's a coffee cup, that's a coffee cup verse. Everyone in here knows that verse. Every kid upstairs is probably learning that verse. You can go and find an atheist that probably knows John three sixteen because it's a beautiful thing. But let's just push pause and say, well, let's, let's break it down. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is something I have said a hundred times until I had a kid. Now it stops me in my tracks and I can't fathom it. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a verse that I probably know, studied, and have recited in public the most. And because of a switch change in my life, where now I have an only son, I'll read this verse and I can't fathom the kind of love it would take. Because if it was up to Asher, if I had to give Asher, my only son, just so, not even the world, to save this room, people I love, it's not going to work out well for y'all. Sorry, I mean, it kind of got dark there. But it's the truth, right? Like, if it's like, hey, this group of people I love and know or people I don't know and love, and all it takes is you to give your only begotten son, then the answer is no. The answer is absolutely not. I, I can't even fathom that kind of love. But we're so used to just regurgitating that we say it and we just slap it on a verse and say, no, no. Sometimes we have to pause and say, for God so loved the world. And, and keep in mind, the world, everyone. God invented love. He invented the world. And he gave his only son that that world might be saved through him. Love like that is a sacrificial love. And I'll tell you this, if you are in love or you are, are in a relationship that is garnered by love and you are not self-sacrificing for it, you are not in love. You are not in a relationship that is garnered by love. And that's hard to say, but it is the truth. It is what agape tells us. Agape is defined by self-sacrificing love. And, but it's a beautiful litmus test. If you say you love someone, ask yourself what you sacrifice for them. If you say you love a group of people, ask yourself what have you sacrificed for them. If you say you love God's church, ask yourself what you've sacrificed for this church. God loved us, so he gave his son. Christ loved us, so he gave his life. Where there is love, there is sacrifice. Where there is love, there is total reckless abandonment for the needs of others. Real love is sacrificial. Real love must cost you something. 
We see it time and time again. One of the, uh, one of the hallmarks of the, the Gospel of Mark for us as we studied it, um, and, and it's in all the Gospels, we're going to look at Matthew for a sec, but is when Christ is asked, what is, the, what is the most important commandment? And he says, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He copies out of the Shema. He says, the most important thing you can do as believers is to love God. But he doesn't stop there either, does he? What does he say past that? It's a comma, not a period. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, comma, and love your neighbors. He says, you, if you are a believer, if you are a woman, a man or woman of faith, if you are a child of God, your life will be marked by love. By the love God has shown you, by the love you will show God, and by the love you will show others. It is a reciprocal thing. There is no way your life can play out without love. There is no way your life can play without sacrificial love. He has called us to open abandonment that we will go down loving people. Not judging them, not uh, trying to uh, change their behaviors or condemn them or, or judge them or whatever, but we will love them. We will love them unconditionally, we will love them sacrificially, and we will love them self-sacrificially. We see here in Luke when it says, love your enemies. And that's always taken me aback because in Luke chapter 6 he says, love your abusers and your persecutors. And I, is it one of those verses that you read and you just understand you're supposed to do it? Like, I get it. Love your enemies. Like, I'll do it. But think what he's talking about. He's not, he's not setting out two versions of love. He's not saying, hey, love your, your best friend this way and your enemies with a lesser version of love, but we'll still call it love. He's saying, no, love, one word. And that's hard because like, I've, I've been abused. I'm not loving that guy. That's not how I'm living my life. That's not how I'm playing out. But if I'm receiving the love from God, the love that I spew out has to be the same amount of love. I can't take God's love and push out some Christian version of like. And that is where we are guilty. That is where it gets in our wheelhouse where we say, I'm absolutely going to take God's unconditional love because I'm a broken bum and I need it. But I'm just only, I'm only going to like some people. Because loving them is hard, uh, loving them is messy, sacrificing for them hurts, and I don't want to play that game. And so many times in our life, the breakdown of the chain of love is we love God, we love Christ, we love what they did for us, and we are somehow just going to confuse that into really, really liking people well. Love God, love others, love your enemies. Everything comes down to love. We hope because of love. We have joy because of love. We find peace because of love. These are our Advent themes. And all of those themes stand on their own. And we're going to teach them on their own. But they're all beautifully connected. And they're all (laughs) woven together in love. We must love because we were first loved. The writer of 1 John, I think, says it best. Um, you can stay seated. I'm going I'm to read it out loud for us, though. Um, and I really, I really want this, this scripture just to weigh on us. I want it to dwell on us because I think it's vital for us to understand um, what we're doing here on a daily basis. Believers, or sorry, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. I'll say it again. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. 
in this love, not that we have loved God, but that we have loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is made perfect in us. And what this scripture is saying is we have to love because we say we're a people of God. And you cannot be a people of God. You can't be a born-again believer in, uh, in, uh, in Yahweh, in, in, in the Messiah. You can't say, I'm a professing Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a son and daughter of God. I just don't have this love thing down yet. And don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not killing it. There's a lot of people that I strongly like when I should be loving them. There's a lot of people that I do not like at all. And I don't even come close to loving them. And a lot of times in my life where I see there uh, an absence of love or an absence of, of being the person I've been called to be to them through love, it's that I've misunderstood what love is. Love isn't me high-fiving and chest-bumping and being your bro. That's, that's a side effect of love. But love is me saying, hey, your needs... Your, your desires and, and the, the welfare of you is more important than me. And I'm going to love you accordingly. We may not always get along. We may not always be besties. But I can tell you this, that, that the, the hope I find in Scripture and the hope I pray you find in Scripture and in our faith and our love, hope, joy, and peace is that we've been bought with a price and we have to act accordingly. And the greatest joy and the greatest hope that we could ever understand is that we are not our own. That God loved us. He loved us so much He sent His Son because we deserve death. And instead of death, we got a Savior. And because of the, the life now we live, now we're immortals, now that we, we will not feel the pains of death and the pains of sin, that is the catalyst for love. That is the, the jumping off point for you to live your life in accordance to love. So uh, the, the worship, uh, the band's going to come up here and they're going to play one more song. And as they play, I want us just to think, are we loving with open abandonment? Are we loving with a self-sacrificing love that we've been called to live? Are we saying we love things, but we have sacrificed nothing for them? I pray for the next few weeks as we garner our hearts through the real meaning of Christmas, through hope and love and joy and peace, that these things just reign over us and they sit over us and that they change our heart for the glory of God. As always, it is an honor to stand before you and I love you all.